Open your Bibles to the book of Mark, which we've been studying for some time. You can flip over to chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, and this is one of those moments where you're kind of looking around thinking, am I the only one? Please have no fear. We will project scriptures as we go through God's word. In just a minute, we will read the the very last section of chapter 10. Let me pray for God's blessing on this word from the Lord. Heavenly Father, I ask right now that you would give us an increased measure of your Holy Spirit. uh, Because apart from the active presence of the Spirit of God who makes your word grow, I am only going to plant and water. And quite frankly, Lord, that's not enough. (laughs) We want to bear fruit. We want to grow. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that this word would take root and grow. And that there would be many little moments in our lives this week that look different because of what we've heard today. Father, I thank you that, that change happens on a small scale. And that you move us from one little degree of glory to another. And I pray today that that would happen. That as your people, we would move one degree closer toward reflecting you. And we praise you for being a speaking God. And I ask that your voice would be crystal clear today. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> if you ask my wife for a short list of things that her husband does not like, it wouldn't take her long to get to something called interruptions. Now, I should say before I go into this, that if you call me at the office, text me on my phone at 12.30 a.m., send me an email, stop in unannounced, you are not an interruption. Okay? So I never want this to be a church where the first thing anyone says to me when they come up is, Pastor, I know you're so busy. If you say that, I will rebuke you <laughs> in the fear of the Lord because I am, all of us are busy, okay? So enough with what we all have in common. I love you. You're never an interruption. Never. But... In general, I'm one of those guys that likes things to go as expected. Anybody with me? That's just kind of your way you're wired. I think some people are not participating. Because I know you. I know you. There's more than four or five in the room. I'll give you another chance to participate. But here's the way this works. I don't like interruptions because I have something called priorities. And my priorities are reflected in my plan. And if you mess with my plans, you are messing with the priority. And if you mess with my priorities, that's not good. That's the way it works. So it's hard for me to smile when I drive around the bend, and you've probably been there, you just see a solid mile of red brake lights. Hard for me to smile. It's hard for me to smile when what I think ought to be a simple home improvement project Uh, does something that my wife calls has babies. 
And you know what I'm talking about, guys? And the one project turns into like three projects and at least like six or seven trips to Lowe's. And the clock is ticking. You took the weekend off. Hard to smile. Interruptions. You know, or I'm in the middle of something at work in the office over here and the internet goes down. Or parenting turns dinner into a two-hour process. Or it's 9.45 and I really want to start some of my homework. And I, despite myself, create a conflict with my wife. I don't like interruptions. I, I want my kingdom to come. Okay, now how many of you are like that? Yes, a few more. There we go. I want my will to be done. How many of you are like that? Yeah, we want our kingdom to come. We want our will to be done. We would be very happy to sit on the throne of the universe and have our kids and our families and our coworkers you know, just come down and, you know, sir, what wouldst thou have me do? I would love that. I would love that. I would love it if the world would dedicate itself to my mission instead of getting in the way and slowing it down. And I think that one of the striking features of Jesus' ministry as recorded in, in the Gospel of Mark is that he faced a nearly constant stream of interruption. I mean, practically constant. You know, countless interactions in the ten chapters we've looked at so far. I just started making a list. Here's how they often start. And so-and-so came up. Or so-and-so ran up. Or while Jesus was teaching, so-and-so said, Heal me, teach me, deliver me, Savior of the world, God Almighty, stop what you're doing and help me out. I mean, it's just, it's not occasional. You read the Gospel of Mark and you think, was his life anything but interruptions? I mean, did he ever get his agenda done? And I think that by the time chapter 10 rolls around, I'm ready for Jesus to say something like this. I was thinking about that this week. Listen, all you needy people, I've got a message for you. You know why I'm on the road to Jerusalem? Because I'm about to be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They're going to condemn me to death and deliver me over to the Romans. They're going to spit on me, flog me, and kill me. And after three days, I'm going to rise from the grave. All of that, if you weren't listening, means that right now I'm a little stressed. I've got a few things on my mind. There's just a little tiny mission that happens to be the centerpiece of God's redemptive plan for the entire world that I am involved in right now. And you need to be quiet. And I'm not even going to let you speak. You're just, oh, funny, none of you can talk right now. I'm God. You know, I mean, it, it would just be so tempting to just shut the crowds down and knock out the mission. That's, I think, what I would have done at some point. And I would have justified it with a book like Getting Things Done. But that's not what Jesus did. It's not. And for your sake and mine, 
we got to be really grateful that God is not like Matthew. And when Jesus was only a day's journey away from Jerusalem, one day out from the place where all of that was going to happen, this is what he does. Mark 10, 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Why did Jesus stop? Why did he not join the crowds in brushing off Bartimaeus as an interruption? Well, friends, it's because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. In other words, Bartimaeus wasn't an interruption in the mission. Bartimaeus was his mission. And guess what? You are too. You are too. And here's why. Here's why. Point number one. Why Bartimaeus was not an interruption, and nor are we. Number one, because our need is desperate. Our need is desperate. Okay, look at verse 46, very first verse. Notice how much effort Mark expends identifying this man. Okay? He doesn't say that a man was sitting by the roadside. He says, Bartimaeus is sitting by the roadside. You need to know this is the only place in Mark where the person Jesus heals is named. And notice it's not just one of a multitude of guys named Bartimaeus. It's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Some of you are thinking, Matthew, what are you pulling out of the names? Well, 
Well, let me tell you why that matters. Why do I slow down on the names? Because I think we tend to organize the Bible, especially the Gospels, into mental categories. So, so you start reading and your mind sort of finds lowest common denominator. Oh, this is one of those healing stories. Okay. And, and all the details and names and places just kind of recede into the background because we put it in the great big healing category. If you've done that. And there are places where Scripture speaks about you and me in very general, categorical terms and invites us to fill in the blank. So Psalm 8, 4, what is man that you are mindful of him? We're, we're all included in that. Or Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. But there are other places in Scripture where the Word of God speaks in very specific terms into very specific situations. And Mark 10:46 is one of those places. With every word in this verse, the situation gets more specific. It's not just a man, it's Bartimaeus. It's not just a man named Bartimaeus, it's Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus. And he doesn't just have a general need, he has a particular need, a pronounced need. He's a blind beggar. And in first century Palestine, if you're a blind beggar, you, you are rock bottom. Rock bottom. Okay, there's, there's no unemployment benefits, no Medicaid, no job training, no homeless shelters, no church on every corner. And you live in a culture where for the Jews, wealth was a sign of God's blessing. And if you weren't wealthy, if you were impoverished, I mean, that, that raised questions. You, you weren't just not well off, you were stereotyped. You were labeled. You were one of those people. And if beggar isn't enough, he's blind. I mean, he can't even see where he's going. He can't even see who's approaching. So, so if you live in an agricultural economy where everybody works with their hands and most people farm, he can't even do anything to improve his situation. Nothing. I mean, you can't, you know, learn Braille and translate textbooks. I mean, no. <laughs> no options. No future. He, he looks into his future, and all he sees is all he's done. Begging. Just imagine how many times a guy like that was, was kicked or beaten or stepped on or or ridiculed. I mean, imagine the loneliness and the, the shame he felt. Sitting by the roadside. And the fact that God's word is so specific about his, his name, his location, his problem, his family relationships, that should tell you something, friend, about the Lord. You do not fall into a generic category in the eyes of God. The Lord does not see the lowest common denominator in your situation. He sees every detail of your situation. His awareness of your needs is not generic. Generic. 
It's specific. It's particular. Jesus didn't organize all the suffering people around him into a group and perform mass healings. He ministered to very specific people in very specific forms of suffering. And by the way, he hasn't stopped doing that. God doesn't care for generic people. He doesn't. He cares for you, Bruce. Cares for you, Lynn. Cares for you, Hunter. Cares for you, Sonia. He knows you. You're not generic to the Lord. And when we see the personal, particular nature of the situation, friends, that's meant to build our anticipation for the personal, particular nature of the mercy that God is about to show. The fact that God sees the particular in your life should build your faith for the particular in His mercy upon you. Because like Bartimaeus, our needs are not generic. And yet, we have this in common. Our need is desperate. That was the first point, right? Why did Jesus stop? Our need is desperate. It's not generic, but it's desperate. So particular details aside, all of us have a shared desperate need. Now that may be hard to see. You look at a guy like Bartimaeus and you think, wow, that's really down on your luck. I mean, I'm, I'm riding high compared to a guy like that. But friend, here's what we need to realize. You and I are Bartimaeus. When you read about Bartimaeus, You're reading your story. And the placement of this story in the Gospels is critical. So there are only two places in the Gospel of Mark where the Son of God heals a blind person. One is in chapter 8 in Bethsaida, and the other is here in chapter 10 outside Jericho. Only two times. And you know what comes between those times? All the big predictions from Jesus of what he's going to do for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Okay, that's deliberate on Mark's part. So you've got, in between chapter 8 and chapter 10, Jesus, time after time, trying to help his disciples see, guys, this is who I am. I'm not just this teacher you're following. I'm the savior of the world. I am living for you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to rise for you. And they just don't get it. I mean, Sort of do. In chapter 8, Peter seems to get it, but, but, but they keep struggling. And, and so they say things like, you know, oh, Jesus, this is going to be great. You know, when, when you kind of do your thing, can I, can I call right hand? Hey, why don't you give him left hand? You know, it's just so clear. They, they don't get it. That there is serious spiritual blindness going on here. Where they don't realize in their life situation who Jesus actually is and what he's come to do. It doesn't make sense to them. And on both sides of all of that, Jesus heals blind people. That's deliberate. Mark put those bookends there to show us something that these physical healings have great spiritual significance. And when you read about Bartimaeus, remember I said Bartimaeus is our story. You're thinking, Matthew, I'm not blind. Maybe you're not. But you know what? Every one of us has spiritual blindness. Every one of us. 
Bartimaeus was physically blind, but his physical blindness was a picture of deep spiritual blindness, a need the disciples had, a need Bartimaeus had, and a need we have. We are spiritually blind to the reality of sin, the reality of judgment, the reality of our our need for a Savior and God's provision in Jesus. And friend, it would be unloving for me to not say, in a room this size, some of you are completely blind spiritually. You, you sit in church. Maybe you're listening to this sermon. And yet, you know, if you're honest, I mean, I can put up with this God stuff. I can handle, I can tolerate this Christian thing. You know, but I just can't wait to get out of here. Never told the pastor that. I mean, you can. I'll, I'll believe you. <laughs> there are areas of your life where you try to measure up to keep people off your case. But when push comes to shove, you do what you want to do. You don't do what God has called you to do. And when you, when you think about Jesus, it, he's just a guy. You know, and you and you sit home and you think, well, wh- I mean, I've, there's all kinds of religions. Why, why privilege him above anybody else? Spiritual blindness. You're not a Christian yet. You know it. You need God to open your spiritual eyes to see your need for salvation. God's provision for you in Jesus. Now, now I say that knowing that many of you are Christians. Okay, before you, you count yourself out or think that your Bartimaeus moment was back in the past, listen to this. There, there may have been, if you're a believer, there certainly was a point in your life where God opened your eyes to see your need for Jesus. You trusted him. But here's the reality. You need God to open your spiritual eyes every day you wake up. Because something happens to us. Something happens. We... We start out seeing, and then it gets cloudy. And then, then the, the edges creep in. And sometimes, even as a Christian, it gets completely dark. And you think about God, and you think about Jesus, you think about the gospel, and you don't see anything remotely glorious or good. At best, it just is. And you're a believer. We need God to keep renewing our spiritual sight every day of our lives. We need to see Jesus as a faithful provider every day. Otherwise, we we worry about stuff, our finances, our jobs, our health, our children. We need to see Jesus every day we wake up as our all-satisfying treasure. And otherwise, we we flirt with, with the lust and pleasures of this world. What Bartimaeus did is what you and I need to do, not just once, but every day of our lives. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he cried out saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's not a point in time deal, Christian. That is a biblical way of doing life. Every day. Jesus, today, have 
mercy on me. When I'm impatient with my kids, I need mercy. When I'm weary at work, I need mercy. When, when my failures outnumber my victories, I need mercy. When bills pile up, I need mercy. When the car breaks down again, I need mercy. When my son is rushed to the hospital, I need mercy. And I want to ask you this morning, be honest. When you encounter trouble outside of you, trouble within you, what is your first reaction? So to kind of circle the wagons, you know, check your you know, bank account balance. Okay, let's see. We can, how can we work? Or do you, you cry out for mercy? Does a cry for mercy fit anywhere in your response to trouble? Not disparaging, coming up with solutions, working hard, going to the doctor. But it is so easy to charge through life, encountering trouble after trouble, and never actually stop to say, Jesus, have mercy. God, help. Help. When it is what we desperately need. God made us friends like Bartimaeus. And when you realize how, how great God is and how holy He is and how sinful and weak we are, only one cry in life makes sense. It's not, God, do what you owe me. It's, God, be merciful to me. And I want to challenge you with this to realize that in the midst of any trouble, When you cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. That moment is the dawning light of sanity in your situation. That's when you are doing what is eminently rational. Why do I say that? Because like Bartimaeus, we've got big time needs. Starting with our spiritual blindness. But carrying over into all sorts of other needs. And the only thing that makes sense when we have big-time needs is that we would cry out to a God who has big-time mercy. That makes sense. That is sane. Anything else is arrogant and irrational. But, you know, we, we're surrounded by voices, folks, that would say things like this. Be quiet. You're making a scene. You know, enough with all the God talk. You, you really think this God of yours is going to do something? You know, maybe you're talking to a relative or friend and you say, well, we're just, we're praying about this. And you, and you sort of hear on the other end, unspoken. <laughs> Funny. Oh, let's get practical. You know, things like that. Or, or maybe the voice that you hear in your head is, I'm not worthy of God's help. I mean, my, my life is a mess. Or maybe you've had other people tell you, God's got bigger fish to fry than helping you out. Just think about the fact that you don't have brain cancer and get over it. You know, remember the starving children in Africa and shut up. Folks, that's not biblical. 
And in the face of all those surrounding voices, crowds around Bartimaeus trying to get him to shut up and be silent, Bartimaeus said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Nobody is going to stop me from crying out to Jesus with my need. We need to be like that. Bartimaeus refused to ignore his desperate need and he knew that Jesus could heal him. And he believed that the Lord would do so as an expression of mercy. And so he kept crying out over and over and over again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy because our need is desperate. That's the only sane response. Our need is desperate. Here's the second reason why Bartimaeus wasn't an interruption. Our need is desperate. Second reason, our Savior is listening. Hey, look at verse 49. Our Savior is listening. Okay, the the first three words of verse 49, I believe, are some of the most remarkable words in the entire Bible. I don't know if they hit you that way, but but as I was studying this week, it occurred to me that when a needy, weak, sinful human sitting in the dust on a roadside cried out in no particular direction because <laughs> he couldn't see, God, help me. The Lord of the universe stopped. It wasn't just, you know, his social worker stopped. You know where his dad stopped it. God stopped. The God who was holding Bartimaeus together and and giving him life and breath and along with everybody else in the world. I mean, you know, he just had a few things going on. <laughs> he just stopped when he heard that man's voice. He stopped. Brought the entire train to a halt. Friend, hear this. Your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful. When James says the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it's working, he's not kidding. Your, your prayers, your cries for mercy, don't go into a heavenly queue. And, you know, when sort of angel level number one gets through X number of tickets, yours sort of rises, you know, thank you for holding. Your call is important to us. No! <laughs> it's not the way your God works. When you cry, here's what immediately happens. God hears. Always. Every time. Without exception. Bartimaeus' prayer wasn't complicated. It wasn't flowery. He didn't have an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. (laughs) He didn't cite all these scriptures. He didn't run it by his pastor. It, It was so simple, so direct. It went right to the point and pretty much consisted of nothing more than this. God, help. God, help. Do you realize you don't have to do anything more than that? To stop the Lord of the universe in his tracks. He's listening. He's listening. 
Your need is desperate and your Savior is listening. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. When you cry out to God for mercy, he hears and your cry draws his attention. Look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said to him, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Oh, just think about this. Why would they say, take heart? In other places, that's translated, cheer up. Cheer up. Take heart, man. I mean, Jesus has yet to heal the guy. You know, but Bartimaeus is still a blind beggar. We know, as the omniscient reader, he's going to be healed. Bartimaeus doesn't know that yet. And so all he knows is that I just got a call, an invitation from God. I mean, that could be good or bad. You know, the, the last guy who kind of came running up to Jesus, you know, God said, hey, dude, sell all your possessions, and he went away sorrowful. You know, so, so just put yourself in his shoes. He doesn't necessarily know how this is going to work out. All he knows is, the Savior just called me. So why take heart? Why take heart? Why take heart after Jesus called, but before Jesus healed? Friends, here's why. Because there is a world of comfort for you and me in the Savior's invitation to bring our request to Him. Even before He has moved or acted or responded as we are desperate for Him to respond, even before that's happened, there is comfort in the call. There is hope in the invitation. There is peace in knowing that in whatever situation, whatever trouble outside you or inside of you you're going through, that as you cry out to God, He hears you. There's comfort in that. And there are a lot of times in a lot of situations where that's all you've got. all you've got. Bartimaeus cried out at first because he had a need. And now he runs forward because he has an invitation. Friend, I want to remind you that God has given you the exact same invitation. He's called you. He's called you. Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on who? On who? On all who what? Call on him. There, there's not a footnote there that has at the bottom, except for your name. To all who call on him. For why? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's, you can bank your life on that. That is always true. Every situation, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. That's a promise. For as the author of Hebrews says in chapter 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, our needs, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with 
confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That last command, draw near to the throne of grace, that can just sound like Christianese. I mean, where's the throne? It's a grace throne. I don't know if I've ever seen a gracious throne. I mean, most ones I've seen are gold. Okay, you know what that's talking about? Prayer. When you pray, when you do Bartimaeus, Son of God, help me. You are drawing near to the throne of grace. That's what you're doing. And there is comfort in knowing that God hears even while we're waiting for him to intervene. I mean, a great illustration of this is Psalm 10. Psalm 10. David is, if you're not familiar with the psalm, David is suffering. He's a victim of serious evil coming at him. Big time evil. And at the beginning of the psalm, David cries out, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I mean, have you ever been there? Where, where like David, you feel like you're crying out for mercy. You're crying out, you're crying out. I mean, you're just, it feels like my prayers are just hitting a wall. I mean, is there some sort of glass ceiling in heaven I'm, I'm just bouncing off of? That, that's David. Lord, why are you far off? Why aren't you answering me? We've been there. You've been there. And you're just waiting for God to act. You keep crying. You keep crying. Lord, I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of crying. I'm waiting. And yet, by the end of the psalm, before God has changed anything in David's circumstances, he rejoices. Lord, you will do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. When I read that, I think, oh, okay, time out. Either you're weird or something happened in the middle. <laughs> well, let me tell you, something happened in the middle. Psalm 10, 17. Oh, Lord, David says to his soul, you hear. You hear the desire of the afflicted. Knowing the Savior was listening made all the difference for David. It didn't change his situation. It didn't change his, his need to keep crying out for mercy, but it gave him confidence to persevere in crying out because he knew that a merciful God was listening to him even while he waited. Jesus invites you to do the same, friend. 1 John 5, this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked of him. So cry out to God in the midst of your trouble. Cry out to God and take heart in knowing that he hears your voice and that at the right time he will answer your cry. It's not the quality of your prayer that guarantees a response. It's the character of God. Bartimaeus didn't have to go looking for Jesus. He couldn't. Jesus came looking for him. And in his invitation to you, 
through the gospel to call upon his name and be saved. Friend, God this morning is coming looking for you. Calling you, inviting you to cry out to him. Our need is desperate. Our Savior is listening. And the last reason Bartimaeus was most certainly not an interruption is this. Jesus' mercy always prevails. Our need is desperate. Our Savior is listening. His mercy will prevail. Look at verse 51. Verse 51. Jesus does something here that initially almost offended me. When Bartimaeus comes up, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, come here. Isn't that a little insensitive? I mean, he's, he's a mess. He, can't you see that he's leaning on all the people around him? I mean, he almost groped that guy. That was kind of awkward. You know, He's blind. He's obviously blind. All of us know that. I mean, are you? Did you catch that? Um, I, I can let you know if you didn't miss. You know, if you missed the obvious, he's blind. So I'm not a rocket scientist, but but I think he needs to see. Maybe. You know, certainly, if if you're ignorant, you know, you can just call me aside. I'll tell you what he needs. But but don't don't humiliate the guy. I mean, it's a crowd of people. Just help him. Don't embarrass him. Why did Jesus ask that question? That, that is the question we need to be asking. Why did Jesus ask the question? Jesus didn't ask the question, what do you want me to do for you for Jesus' sake? He asked for Bartimaeus' sake. And here's why. Jesus asked because he never exercises his power in an arbitrary or impersonal way. Jesus always acts in response to genuine faith. That's why he asked. That's why he questioned him. Because Jesus' primary aim wasn't to change Bartimaeus' situation. His primary aim was to change Bartimaeus. To change him on the inside. To change his heart. The crowd was looking at his eyes. Jesus was looking at his soul. Because he knew that if I heal your eyes, but your heart hasn't changed, I've given a man a drink on the way to hell. Mind you, there are many times where it seems as though Jesus, in a beautiful way, compassionate way, was simply content to heal people. And they never followed him. We don't know what happens. But in this case, the Lord is doing a lot more. And by forcing Bartimaeus to articulate his need, he forced Bartimaeus to exercise faith. But Bartimaeus initially simply confessed his need for a Savior. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus asked him what he wanted him to do, Bartimaeus added to his confession of need a confession of trust. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. That answer makes no sense. You don't answer with that. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. If you don't believe that Jesus can do that, 
That, that answer is an expression of genuine faith. And the Lord knew that Bartimaeus needed to move from not just a general awareness of his need and, and crying out to space, Son of God, have mercy on me, which was the place to start. But from there, the Lord led Bartimaeus into a specific expression of trust for a specific need. Brothers and sisters, is your faith particular? Or do you merely believe that God is generically merciful, generically helpful, able to save? Or is your faith such that you are able to bring a specific need before the Lord and say, Jesus, I need you to do this. And I'm telling you that because I believe you can. Part of me doubts that. There's belief. There's unbelief. It's all mixed up. You know that. I don't even know how that all works out. But Lord, part of me, I really do believe. And I'm bringing this specific need before you because you're a merciful God. That's what the Lord led him in doing. And then Jesus said to him in 52, your faith has made you well. Let me say this. You can get in a world of trouble if you take that verse out And forget the rest of your Bible. (laughs) Your faith has made you well. You know what happens when you do that? For too long, your faith has a strange Jesus Messiah undertone to it. As if your your faith saved you. I mean, that's the question really. Did did Jesus heal Bartimaeus or did Bartimaeus' faith heal Bartimaeus? I mean, look at that. Taken on face value, what's Jesus say? Your faith has made you well. So what's going on? Who healed Bartimaeus? God or Bartimaeus? Well, friend, I don't think Mark leaves us in the dark. <laughs> okay, the powerful word of God was the ultimate cause. Look at the beginning of 52. And Jesus said... What has to happen in the world for healing to take place? A word must proceed from the mouth of God. God was the ultimate cause of Bartimaeus' healing because it wasn't until Jesus spoke in 52 that the man was healed. That means, friend, that your faith doesn't twist the arm of God. Your faith is not the ultimate cause cause of your healing or the ultimate cause of God's act of mercy. The ultimate cause of God's acts of healing in our life and God's acts of mercy in our life is God himself. If God is merciful to you, ultimately it doesn't scream of the greatness of your faith, it screams of the greatness of a merciful God. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. The mercy of God is the ultimate cause, but your faith is the instrumental cause. If you would, it is the channel through which the means God uses to bestow his mercy upon you and for you to receive his power in your life. Your faith matters. It's just not the ultimate cause, which means it's never a work of merit. It is, as a friend told me last weekend, faith is an empty hand. 
Tracking with that? It's an empty hand. It's an attitude that places no confidence in what we bring to the table and complete confidence in what God brings to the table. It's a posture of dependence, of reliance, of complete trust, and it's a gift. And notice what happens immediately after he's healed. In verse 46, he's sitting on the roadside. What happens in 52? He's following Jesus on the same road. He's not just healed physically. He goes from sitting to following. And that contrast is deliberate. That contrast reveals the main point of this entire story. Our need is desperate. Our Savior is listening. His mercy will prevail. So what does all that mean? You should be asking that. What, what is all that? My need is desperate. My Savior is listening. His mercy will prevail. Okay, so what, what claim does that make on the way I do life tomorrow? You should be asking that. Here's the claim. Following Jesus begins with a faith-filled cry for mercy. Every day, every person, following Jesus begins with a faith-filled cry for mercy. Not just once in your life, but every day of your life. Our need for God is never generic. It's always specific. But the solution for every one of us has this in common. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. That is the prayer of the Christian life. We need God's help to see our need. We need God's help to cry out to Jesus with our need. And we need God's help to keep on trusting Jesus as we cry out, even while we're waiting for him to meet our need. Lord, have mercy. And so I challenge you, friend. I want to challenge you this week. When you encounter trouble around you, trouble inside of you, remember, you have a desperate need. You probably feel that on some level. Remember this. Your Savior is listening. His mercy will prevail. And that means that the most sane thing you can do right now is to begin following Jesus with a faith-filled cry for mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you are a merciful God. Thank you that you delight to open blind eyes, to heal us, Lord, where we do not see you for who you are or trust you for who you are. Lord, I pray for those today who would say, if they're honest, I am completely blind spiritually. God, would you open blind eyes? Lord, I pray for those today who would say, I need help. I need mercy to see and trust Jesus this week. God, would you grant us right now the help we need? Teach us to live day by day. Lord, have mercy.